Welcome to the Future of Australia podcast, where your host, Derek Stewart, interviews the entrepreneurs and founders running the 100 fastest growing new businesses in Australia. On episode 76, I speak with Tom Woods, director of Woods & Co., a recruitment agency that grew 128% last financial year to do over $4.5 million in annual revenue and become one of the fastest growing new businesses in Australia. We discuss how dealing with people when working in nightclubs, retail, hospitality and real estate made him a good judge of character and people. How he fell into a recruitment job and eventually went on to start his own recruitment business after learning the basics of entrepreneurship, running a spray tanning business for five years. The values he focuses on when hiring staff for his clients and his own team, which enabled them to get through COVID without making any layoffs. Why he achieved his 10-year goal of opening up in America in under five years, and the lessons learned about how business is done differently in Australia versus the USA. If you are seeking a recruitment agency based out of Melbourne and New York City, striving to deliver results beyond expectations to both job seekers and employers, check out woodsco.com.au. That's W-O-O-D-S-C-O.com.au. So I'm here with Tom Woods, the director of Woods & Co. Welcome to the podcast, Tom. Thanks for having me. Really looking forward to today, Derek. Yeah, me too. So can you tell us, what were you doing before you started Woods & Co? What were some of your earliest jobs? What did you study? Yeah, sure. So a bit of everything, really. Um, I was uh, a Xavier College uh, student. Um, I wasn't the best academic. Uh, I was average at sports, but uh, always always gave it it my best, I suppose. Um, Post-school, I spent a lot of time traveling. Um, I worked a lot. I've tried my hand at uh, many different things, um, but mainly my my prior history before recruitment was was in in the big bad world of nightclubs. I spent a lot of time um, managing venues, promoting in venues, working in venues in different capacities. Uh, but I've tried tried my hand at lots of things: real estate. I was at Jealous Craig for a while. Uh, I was at Calibre selling suits, and I've got some good stories from there back in the day. Um, I worked at Grilled. I was uh, at one of the first Grilled stores. I worked at Two Times U. I opened their store in Hawthorne. Um, so a lot of retail, um, a lot of people-facing positions. That's, uh, I suppose, what recruitment is at the end of the day. It's a people-person job, and uh, a lot of my history was was in and around around that. And so you mentioned like you weren't super academic or sporty. So, so when you were 14, 15, what were the, the sort of adults in your life trying to point you towards or what would you say if people asked the 15-year-old version of you what you wanted to be when you grew up? Yeah, sure. I I, I often use uh, the analogies here today, uh, you know, that you're only as happy as uh, you're only as happy as your unhappiest child. And I often talk to our management team about that and I often talk to to uh, the general staff about, you know, um, we follow a pretty 
pretty diligent process here in how we go about our work and and how we do things. And um, you know, my mum always said to me, "As long as you've tried your best." And I think um, that was my my motto or my parents' motto for me growing up was, "As long as you you're trying your best and you're doing everything in your power to to achieve, then um, you know the results will be what they will be." And um, I've sort of held on held on to that mantra uh, in today's world in the recruitment game that we're in now. So, dad dad was a, a chippy, um, always worked for me. For himself, um, from the age of about sixteen, uh, turned property developer. So, I've watched um, someone grow a business themselves into something that's super successful, way more successful than even I am today. So, um, you know, mum and dad have always worked really hard. Mum was a nurse. Mum worked uh, shift work. Um, we lived in seventeen houses as I grew up, buying, flipping, selling, um, renovating, those sorts of things. So, I, I've always seen hard work and always um, watch watch people work hard to to achieve their goals and I suppose that's that's where um, you know tying in with uh, trying your best but also working as hard as you can to get to where you need to be is um, is something that I, I still uh, hold true to myself today and did your dad steer you a little bit say hey you should come into real estate or, or did you sort of do some work experience with him or did you sort of not initially uh, you mentioned you tried real estate for a little while was that one of the first things because of him or again you didn't necessarily want to sort of follow in his footsteps yeah so mum's family were in the real estate game so mum's dad actually trained some of the larger real estate agents the owners uh, that you see today, so from the Alistair Craig to the world uh, through to Marshall White and Kane Burton, some of the senior guys in those teams. So um, mum's mum's side were, were really, really heavy on the, um, you know, you can sell, you should go into real estate. But, you know, little old me, 20 years of age, working uh, in in Bourne and Hawthorne trying to sell multi-million dollar houses with a uh, a suit that was too big and a, a Ford Falcon probably wasn't cutting the mustard for people putting their their most prized and precious assets in in my hands. So, yeah, there was a little bit of a push from, I suppose, um, not a push, but a, at a you know, a, a lean towards this is probably something that, that you may be good at and at the pinnacle of sales. Um, as we sort of know in Australia, it, it probably is to a degree, still the pinnacle of sales, um, selling, you know, the most valuable assets for people but um yeah dad dad was really you know probably trying to keep me more on the straight and narrow i think um i was working pretty heavily in nightclubs so he was more on the disciplinary side and mum was more on the well let's let's try and find a solution to the problems and uh and try and get you out into to the practical world versus uh dad saying well stop coming home at 4am in the morning and come to work with me and get on the tools and and, and earn earn your stripes and you mentioned being a, a nightclub promoter. Like, did you enjoy that? Obviously, you see all sorts of different people in all sorts of different ways. And what what did you learn sort of in that role? And, and was that something that it was just hard to sustain long term? Or um, was it good? Was it bad? What was that like? Yeah. So, I mean, some of my best friends today uh, come from that space. And funnily enough, um, probably the majority of our uh, staffing cohort here come from uh, that that industry as well. We've got a lot of washed up DJs. We've got a lot of ex-nightclub promoters. We've got some that, that are still are still in the music space in that area. And we've got a, uh, a number of our staff here and, and my business partner in particular is, is still in that, that space. So um, I learned a lot. I saw a lot. Um, probably as a 22-year-old standing on doors at some of um, Melbourne's busiest and biggest nightclubs, you, you come across all sorts of individuals. And 
Um, it teaches you resilience. It teaches you um, confidence. It teaches you, I guess, to, to spot to spot things before they they happen. Um, to to look ahead, to stay focused, um, to not get distracted, all those sorts of things. So, yeah, as a as an industry and working with people, it's fantastic because we obviously have to get to know our clients. We also have to get to know our candidates. So it's given me what I think a, a unique skill, which is being able to um, gauge and understand individuals uh, very quickly um, once we've had the opportunity to speak with them on the phone, uh, meet them in person, so on and so forth. So it laid a, a really good foundation for, for my career here. And it's also given us a, a bunch of lifelong clients because we do have a hospitality sector as well, albeit a, a small component of our business today. Um, yes, yeah, so you're meeting all sorts of different people, um, like you said, being in the people business and seeing all, all the benefits of that. And what about in like the food and beverage space in uh, working at Grilled and these other things? Was it similar lessons or just, again, a different environment and different set of people? Yeah, diff- different lessons. Um, you know, I started work whilst I was at school. So I always sort of held down a job. I, I, my first job was working for um, Farmore Pharmacy on Glenfrey Road in Hawthorne and on Tuesdays and Thursdays after school I would uh, deliver um, the prescriptions out to the elderly uh, around around the Hawthorne Hughes sort of suburbs um, which I guess taught me the, the lesson of hard work and working from um, a young age. Um, I spent a fair bit of time as I said at Grills and um, Two Times You and in retail and Calibre and so on and so forth and that that taught me the same thing. It taught me to, to, you know, be on time. It taught me to show up to my shifts when I was supposed to. Um, you know, there was often a sense of urgency in particular uh, industries in the F&B space in particular. Um, you know, there was busy periods, there was quiet periods. Taught me how to to navigate, I guess, um, my workflows and, and to be able to understand um, what it was that I needed to be doing in particular times to, to get the most out of I guess that shift or that session and the same as um, working um, in the retail space, you know, in particular um, having targets when you're in retail and and understanding that, you know, the more you sell them, the more you can earn. So, um, or or be that an add-on with a tie to a suit or, you know, an extra wetsuit with a a triathlon suit or a pair of um, two times two tights, whatever it may be. Um, chasing commission and 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 getting a taste of that early on in my career probably dry, drove um, my success or my early success in recruitment. Yeah, so you're in the people business, you're in the service business, you're learning sales. Did you have a clearer vision in your early 20s once you'd done a few different roles, what you wanted to do in, in sort of five or 10 years from then? Or were you still sort of just trying different things, having fun, doing your best? Yeah, so... Uh, how I ended up in in recruitment is an interesting one, and it's probably um, like like most individuals in the recruitment game end up in recruitment not knowing how they actually got here, and they look back three or four years later, and and there they are. Uh, I was working in nightclubs, and then I opened a beauty salon, and I had a beauty salon for for five years, but. Albeit, uh, would have been nice to be in there spray tanning all day, every day. Um, it probably wasn't the ideal job for myself. Uh, so I had to take the time and um, figure out what it was that I was going to do next. Yeah, so I worked in nightclubs for a number of years and then um, I, I went and opened a beauty salon, which we had for, for five five or so years. Um, but yeah, as I said, albeit you can't, um, you, you, you can't uh, spray tan and, and do the waxing as a male all day, every day. Um, so 
uh, I had to go out there and find a job. Um, that job was it a profitable me... business though? Like, was it you like that? Was that your first experience running a business? That beauty salon did it. You got customers. You kind of broke even, or is it just um, what was that like as a business? Yeah, yeah, it was. It was. It was a business. Like I learned I, the the takeaways from owning the beauty salon was I learned how to set up a business, learned how to write a business plan. I understood how the banks worked. I understood. Um, stock taking, ordering, um, the customer journey. Um, I I took on and understood, uh, I guess the inner workings of business and and how how to get something out of the ground. Was it overly profitable? Not really. Paid its way um, for the journey, um, but it wasn't something that was going to set the world alight. You know, we we went and opened that business because we saw a gap in the market, similar to what we have done with Woods and Co. We saw a gap in the market where. Um, tanning beds were were becoming redundant and um, the government was making a change there and, and making those illegal. So spray tanning was obviously going to be the thing that moved forward. So we saw a gap in the market there and, and we, we went for it. And the plan was to roll them out, you know, one after the other. But I, I don't think at that age and where I was at in my business journey, I was quite there. But when it didn't lose any money, um, you know, it tracked along for five years. It did what it needed to do. Uh, kept my business partner at the time uh, employed full time for, for a long time. Um, but for, for me, I obviously wanted more and I, I am fairly entrepreneurial. So um, when we had the beauty salon, I needed to get a job. Uh, probably similar to my dad saying to me quite often, you know, you've got to go and do something. You can't just stand around all day and, and, and wait, for, wait for it to happen. So a friend of mine was working um, at iSelect at the time and he was an ex-nightclub guy and he found a job through a recruitment agency um, through a, another mutual friend of ours. And he said, you should go and see her because um, these recruitment agencies, I knew nothing about them and they'd never heard of one and neither had my parents. Um, these recruitment agencies um, have a, a, a plethora of opportunity and a, a number of jobs that, that, that will be available to you. And there was a one-month temp contract um, with iSelect. And I went in and I interviewed and when I went in for the interview, I think half half my shoe was falling off because I didn't really wear suits and I still don't wear suits to today. And, um, you know, I had a shirt on that hadn't been dry cleaned and um, I was probably 15 minutes late and all that kind of stuff. But I walked in the interview and the interview went went really well. Um, unfortunately, well, fortunately, the iSelect job fell over. So when the iSelect job fell over, they called me back in. They called me back in for a second interview and they said, we might actually have a, a, an opportunity here. Um, so I sat down, I heard them out. Um, in the back of my head, I was actually um, and had planned a trip over to Singapore with a number of uh, guys that I'd been doing some work with to try and open some bars uh, over there at the time. So in my head, I was like, look, I'll take this on, even if it's full-time, it's permanent, it's temporary, whatever it may be. And um, these bars hopefully will, you know, I'll, I'll find my way out and back on my pathway, which was still in the hospitality land. Um so I took, I took the job and um, I never looked back really and the bars never happened. I went to Singapore on a couple of free trips and we, we did our R&D and everything we needed to there, but it never came to fruition and, uh, and that was the start of my recruitment journey. So they hired you into their business to work with them as a recruiter when the iSelect opportunity didn't work out? Yeah, so the iSelect opportunity fell over and uh, had the second interview and 
and they offered me the opportunity to, to, to come in and, and start in the education space. So my job was to talk to candidates that weren't yet suitable for um, positions that they had available um, and talk to them about short courses that were around. So I know the education journey and some of the listeners may know a little bit about that and there's been some ups and downs in that space and there's some, been some people that have done the right things and the wrong things. This was before that time. So it was, it was short courses where people could go and learn how to use Microsoft Office properly. They could go and um, do a frontline management course and learn how to articulate better over the phones. And it was sort of two-week, three-week courses. And then we could put them in back into our um, ecosystem at Smart Recruitment was where I was working. And, and they could then become part of our temp platform. Yeah, so someone who's not quite ready to be placed with a, a client, but with a little bit of training and support, you know, could, could be a, a good candidate. And so yeah. how did you go from that to wanting to start your own recruitment business and launching Woods & Co? Yeah, so I've done a couple of podcasts on on this part of the journey um, and it's 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 it's, a, it's an interesting one. So I was at Smart for about four, four odd years, I think it was, um, and I started obviously selling these short educational courses and I did that for about 12 months. And as I said, yes, I, I did learn about, um, you know, how to be a good employee, through my early parts of my journey, but I probably wasn't the best employee because I wasn't set on this being my career. Uh, you know, I, I I didn't tell the truths about um, my trip to to Singapore. Um, you know, I was going on a holiday to Bali for a week, but I actually went on a three week trip to to Singapore and um, Marty and I laughed about that, my old boss and Will. And, um, you know, there was warnings before I went if I took too, too long while I was away, there would potentially be a job when I got back and I extended my holiday. And I used to um, obviously still still be heavily involved. A lot of my network were in the hospitality space. So I'd go out on a Tuesday night and a Thursday night and I was emceeing at the time as well. So I was spending a lot of time um, out and about on the weekends and I used to travel interstate. So on Thursday nights, uh, sorry, on Sunday afternoons, I'd do a gig in Perth and get the red eye back and come to the office at 6 a.m. in the morning. The days when I, I would show up at midday, there'd be days when I'd leave early. Um, I was getting paid as a casual, so I was on an hourly rate. So in my mind, it was like, well, I'm getting paid for the hours that I'm here, so that shouldn't impact the business too much. I look back now and I think to myself, God, if uh, that was happening here, there'd be one one foot out the door for that individual for sure. But I had some really good mentors in the business and some really good people um, that were supporting me through that. And they also they also understood, um, I guess, and I sort of had them over a barrel a little bit where when I was there and the things I was doing was a, a level above, I suppose, some of the others. And I was also in a position where I was making a lot of sales. So, um, you know, I might not have been there the full uh, 7.6 hours or the eight-hour day, but in the times that I, I was there, um, I was adding to the culture. Um, I was progressing in my career. I was giving other people in the business some job satisfaction from, you know, the wins we were having together. Um, and I wasn't, I wasn't calling and screaming out for, for more remuneration regularly. You know, I was, I was taking what was given to me. And as one of the, the guys in our business says, you know, delayed gratification and, and delayed reward and those sorts of things. So, um, was a good, you take the good and the bad sometimes with employees. And I suppose I was smack bang in the middle of that. And what did you do differently from the other sales reps there? Was it just you had a lot more people experience and you, you related to people better? Was it like you said, you'd come in and kind of work very intensely when you were there? Sort of, um, what do you think you did that sort of put you ahead of a lot of the other sales reps in that business? Yeah, so um, I worked ferociously when I was working. You know, I, 
I, I like to I like to win and I, I like to have a lot of wins. And in the early days, that's what my job was. And, um, you know, I, I thrive off that. I thrive off um, knowing that, um, you know, I'm sitting at the top of the leaderboard in particular areas or, um, you know, the job I'm doing is is benefiting the business as a whole. I've always been a, a team person. I've always been an individual that um, wants the team to win. So my my job satisfaction didn't come from necessarily, as I said, chasing remuneration for myself, but knowing that I was doing a good job and getting the the pats on the back for, for those sorts of things, um, so on and so forth. So, yeah, I think probably just my mentality, um, things that we hire on here, you know, attitude, aptitude, my motivations, my determination, those sorts of things were super important, which then led to the next part of my journey. You know, I went from um, selling the educational courses into being a recruitment consultant. And that came about by somebody going on annual leave and and me having the opportunity to fill a couple of roles um, and try my hand at it. And um, I worked tenaciously to, to get those done. And then um, Will McPhee, who I was working with, um, he gave me the opportunity to step up. And I suppose the education stuff sort of had slipped away a bit. And I, I stood up and Will and I ran uh, the largest desk at Smart from there moving board for the next three years and um till he moved to sydney and i i sort of took it over and employed a, a couple of uh, staff there and ran the largest team and and some of those are actually here today with us at woods and co which is which is awesome to see and it's been a pretty 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 awesome journey with them and like you said you you had a, a pathway there they were very tolerant of your sort of antics and was there a moment when you thought well i can do this on my own you mentioned you've been entrepreneurial but more in the the hospital and uh sort of beauty and other areas what was the moment where you, you decided to um run your own to start your own recruitment business yeah i mean um <laughs> there there is a story behind it and uh, i suppose if anyone's listening or even yourself there if you could probably go into more detail about it one day but um the I was entrepreneurial the whole time and I was always looking for ways to um have uh, other revenue streams or to to um I guess boost my career or to to be the leader and to to be able to create something and all those sorts of things so I've always, I always had that burning burning desire um in the in the early stages um where I was probably not the the ideal employee that that disappeared and I became what I think was probably the ideal employee. You know, I was in the gym early. I was one of the first in. I was always the last out. Um, I, I worked all day. I, I, I gave everything. I gave it my all. But I probably hit a ceiling where I was. Um, and the business structure uh, at Smart Recruitment was was awesome. And, you know, the journey I had with Marty and Stu in the early days and Will um, and some of the key key individuals there is I wouldn't be doing this without them. Um, but where their business was at and what what they do, and they're they're probably one of the best recruitment agencies in Melbourne still. Um, I wanted more, and because of that, and naturally, um, I suppose if you if you look at the old uh, the old jungle sort of mentality, there was a bit of clashing of heads, and I was pretty fiery, and um, I had some opinions on things and the way I thought things should be done, and um, different bits and bobs. So. That, that tension did did surface and um, it got to a point where I thought, well, you know, rather than ruining a relationship and rather than um, continuing to, to, I guess, butt heads, let's 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 try something myself. And I, I went out and spoke to two of my best mates about it and they, they sort of guided me and pushed me in the direction to, 
to give it a crack. And uh, we opened up Woods & Co. and smell of an oily rag. And um, here we are five years later in the BRW Fast Fast 100 and um, just shy of 40 employees across uh, a couple of countries. Yeah, and so, so you'd run a business before, so you kind of knew a bit of what you were getting into and you've been in recruitment, like you mentioned, sort of three, four years as well. But what was the first 12 months like running uh, Woods & Co.? The lead up was um, nerve wracking. It was um, it was exhilarating, but it was scary. Like I don't think I could um, could have could have done it without doing it with with a couple of my mates. Um, the reason being is it is lonely at the top, no matter um, uh, whether you think that or not. Um, especially for someone like myself who needs to collaborate and needs to work in a team environment. Um, it was scary. The first the first twelve months was was nerve wracking, but we were really lucky. We were really lucky. We played by the, we played by the rule book. Uh, we didn't go out there and, um, and poach old clients. Um, we, we, we stuck to my non-compete. We did everything right. So we, we were never looking over our shoulders. We we're always looking forward, which I think is really important. It's honorable. It's the right thing to do, all those sorts of things. So, um, that was one thing that, that if I'm going to, talk to the general public today is if you are looking to do something yourself is is don't do the wrong thing do the right thing because it's just another thing you've got to worry about um but you know where does the business come from you know new business yeah you know you can find candidates you can go out there and you can fill roles and all those sorts of things because you believe in your process you've done it for um a few few years already but the um the the client building from from scratch is probably the hardest thing, and that was the scariest thing for the first twelve months. But we put our head down, we networked like crazy, um, we made our first placement within the first three weeks of opening the company, which gave us a bit of uh, bit of oomph. Um, we hired quickly, we got the right people in, um, we made sure that our training and our onboarding was on point, point, and those sorts of things, and that that gave us the platform. But it, it, hard work is 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 the key for those first twelve months. And did you start on a particular industry? Like you mentioned, obviously, you're recruiting in um, different spaces. You um, worked in education. You'd also been in the hospitality and other spaces. Did you start with one of those verticals or were you sort of taking any work you could get in the first six or 12 months? Yeah, so, yeah, more or less, you take what you can get. Um, do we undercut the market? Probably, you know. Our standard fees in the first year, we, our mates rates were $4,000 per per person that we would uh, place with them. So in the scheme of things, is quite low. You know, now we sort of charge between 12 and 15% of the annual salary package. So very rarely is anything below $5,000 unless it's uh, of, of scale and we're doing volume recruitment. Um, so we went in, we, we priced ourselves well in the market. So we positioned ourselves really well then. That's really important. Don't go out there and... And try and set the world alight and, and make all the money in your first year. You know, it's it's a marathon. It's not a sprint. So we went out and we we ensured that our pricing was right. Um, we started as a generalist. You know, beggars can't be choosers. We went out there and took what we could get. Um, the first role we placed was a sales role in a um, in a beautician style um, uh, uh, space in in Malvern. it was it was a very left of center role it was it was it was something they'd never done before it was something i'd never done before um but we had a lot of success there um but we we are built and the business is built on sales support and service so call center bdms account managers um back office administration support uh customer service so on and so forth 
Yeah, and you've continued to grow very quickly, growing 128% last financial year, doing over $4.5 million in annual revenue, becoming one of the fastest-growing new businesses in Australia. Um, so you mentioned the hard sort of first year. What was it like, the good and the bad, of managing that rapid growth and expansion? Yeah, so um, we, we, we're really organic in how we grow. So as I mentioned before, we opened the business on the smell of an oily rag, really. Um, from there... We were lucky where um, we've, we've had some individuals that we've known in the recruitment space come and join us, um, which was which gave us the ability to tack on our subsection. So we had sales support and service, which naturally transitioned into finance, um, which then we pushed into digital and IT from a technical recruitment standpoint. But we had Hish Nidham, um, who was a, a friend of mine outside of uh, the recruitment space, who was in recruitment, who came in and, and helped us push into that area because he was doing um, retail banking already uh, at another agency. Um, we had Abby Inglis come along um, and she she had experience um, and was fairly senior in the hospitality world. So she came in and gave us the opportunity to to open up in the hospitality space. Uh, and then we had Justin Taylor come along um, who is still with us. Well, they're all still with us today um, and one of my best mates and he came along and opened up. Um, the property and construction division for it. So we 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 naturally um, and organically moved into those those different realms with sales support and service still being our our bread and butter. Um, we try to hand a few different areas like legal. We're growing our temp division at the moment, and we're growing the US. It all comes down to hard work at the end of the day. The first twelve months were super stressful. Um, you know, you're, you're growing, you're learning, you take everything you do is new, um, and then COVID hit right. We, we were 18 to two years into our journey and COVID hit. So um, that was something we'd never seen before, you know, nobody had seen. So trying to navigate those waters and understand how to keep people uh, employed and to make money and to what was going to happen, who knew. Um, but the one thing I said was the thing was in that March when we all got, got ordered to go and work from home, um, we stood in our kitchen at the office. I said to everyone, if you stand by me, I'll stand by you, and we won't make a single redundancy through this period, which we didn't. Um, and we came out the other side of COVID, big, strong, um, and more powerful than a lot of other recruitment agencies because we had held on to everyone. We were, uh, we did have the ability to do it because we didn't have any debt. Um, we we were in a position where we were as big as some of our competitors now that were maybe 60 people, but now 20 people. We were at 20 people because we didn't let anyone go. The market turned instantly. The flick was switched and away we went. Um, and as soon as that happened, we started hiring like crazy. So we put on in the 12 months outside of COVID, I think it was another 20-odd employees, give or take some coming and going. Um, and, and, and we've managed to hold on to those people. And pe- people are the most important thing for your business and um you know we we live and die by that so um investing in them will invest in your future and and that's how you get growth the, the reality is in a service-based industry like ours where yes technology powers part of our business but we are mainly powered by the human being um your people are, are key and retraining and redeveloping individuals is 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 a you know it's a lost leader you're not going to you know you're spending a lot more time and energy in that area what you really want to be doing is is working with the people you've got now to get them to where they need to be or beyond and um, we've been lucky enough to have that loyalty from our employees and, and offering that loyalty back to them yeah so you mentioned backing your people through the ups and the downs and obviously having a great sort of workplace culture are there other things you do in particular when you're recruiting for yourself 
like obviously most of your time is recruiting for your clients, but when you're building your own team, like you said, all the different managers and verticals and desks um, that you run, um, are there other specific things that, again, that you having worked in a lot of industries, maybe things that frustrated you that you said, well, when I'm in charge of this, I'll do it differently or um, particular things you, you do at uh, Woods & Co.? Yeah, culture is really important for us. So, um, you know, I, I think you saw before we had a brief tour of the office where we're open plan. I sit on the floor with everyone. Um, we have a basketball court out the back. We've moved to South Yarra to make it more accessible for our staff. Um, we don't we don't have the motto that we live to work. We work so we can live. Um, so, you know, early finishes, we we, we promote flexible working um, we give everyone the tools that they need to work from home all that kind of stuff um, a lot of events a lot of networking all that kind of jazz you know there's a professional culture but then there's also a culture culture which which we try and harness both of um, which is was in the early days I guess driven by the leadership team it's now driven by the team themselves which is even better to see because it shows that they care and they're they're engaged um, the job satisfaction piece you know we've got the different departments different divisions temporary permanent contract recruitment hospitality financial services digital IT sales support and service property and construction, so on and so forth. We we give people the opportunity to change what they're doing. You know, work can be monotonous. You know, we, it, what we do day in, day out, um, searching through resumes can, can can get to you at times. And um, it's like any job, though. If you're an accountant, you're doing tax returns 90% of the year. You know, if you're, if you're working in retail, you're selling the same suit every day, whatever it may be. So we just try and offer some i guess diversity in the way that people work and give them the opportunity to to progress and i think with a growing organization like ours that also gives people the runway to to move forward and to give them the career progression which is sort of the third thing that we we harp on about here at woods and co is um people creating their own journeys regular reviews around that where are you going where do you want to go what are your outside goals is it buying a house and buying a car is it going on a holiday all of that kind of stuff. So offering our staff the ability to to go on a journey with us and and we've got a journey ahead of us, a long journey ahead of us. So um, that's the third thing. And then remunerating accord, accordingly. We try and make sure that um, we have um, individuals getting paid what they should be getting paid in a commission structure that, uh, that, that works for everyone. So we offer those, but when we're hiring and what we look for from those people is you know, attitude, aptitude, motivation, determination. We can teach, we can train, we believe in what what we we do here and, and our abilities to get people into a position where they can do this job. So for us, it's about getting the right person for the right job, the right mindset, the right ambition, um, so on and so forth. If they have that, then we'll work with them to get them to where they want to be. Yeah, no, it sounds excellent and um, really fits well with, with what you do. And so you mentioned um, all these diverse industries that you work across from construction, financial services, digital marketing, hospitality. Um, what varies in, in your sort of recruitment process or methodology or, you know, your experience sort of um, industry to industry and what are those universal pieces that scale well um, in how you do things across these um, diverse industries, whereas a lot of recruitment companies might be very niche in one type of role or a few types of roles or within a very, you know, niche IT recruitment or, um, you know, other types of medical recruitment, for example? Yeah, sure. So um, we, we see that here day in, day out um, 
in between our teams and and within our teams and how they they work. Obviously, hospitality, for example, it's just, it is a small market um, compared to other markets. You know, it's not it's not as big as a sales support and service where there's you know call centers with hundreds of people. You know, there it is a big, big industry, but it's 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 still it's fairly insular and it's difficult. So we had to, and I hate to use the the buzzwords, but we had to pivot in that space. You know, we had to look at. Where do where can we make money and where is a need? Where where can we be actually utilized? And and we like to look at volume because that that the scales of economy and all that sort of stuff comes into play. But um temporary was the, the best option there. You know, these large scale events, especially at the back of COVID, you know, we're at a, the lowest unemployment rate we've ever seen. It's it's jammed up, it's difficult. So we saw a real gap there in the, the temporary space um within hospitality. Not to say the permanent side isn't super successful in its own right, but it gave us an add-on to bolt on to be able to grow and lift our revenue as well. Because that that's that's key. Um I mean, pr- profit is sanity, revenue is vanity, but at the end of the day, um, it's important to be able to keep the wheels turning when you're growing. Um, sales support and service is high volume. Um, you know, it's it's high turnover sort of stuff, but it's low margin, but there's lots of it. And there's a, we have a much bigger team in that space versus our technical recruitment side, which is our finance, digital, IT, executive stuff. You might not be doing the... The, the masses and the, the scale of, of work, but the we can charge more. We can um, the processes are different. You know, there's a lot more headhunting. It's a lot more relationship bases. Uh, it's it's highly skilled in how you go about searching for individuals in that area. So, the growth in that space from a business perspective is slower, but it's probably a lot more sustainable in terms of um, the clients. There will always come back. It's fairly regular, and so on and so forth. Sales support and service probably a little bit like hospitality it's slightly more volatile because you can have a call center come on tomorrow and and want 100 staff they get this 100 staff they don't need anything for 12 months um so your revenue can go up and down quite dramatically in that area so you're constantly out there networking and and doing business development and chasing down hr leads and managers as they move place to place so um those areas um they differ and and the recruitment processes are different we've when we split up the teams and and had those different areas like property and construction, the way they do things is completely different to um, financial services, digital and IT. It's a different conversation. Um, they, you know, it's fairly remuneration driven there. So there's a lot more um, negotiating that happens at the back end of the process and so on. But we're now as a business, now that we've split up the divisions, we're now looking at, at training, particular trainings and breaking up our training to ensure that everyone is getting what they need out of it but diversifying it, it's it's helpful when you're growing because if one side of things isn't flying along the next side is and um it you know the ideal world everything will be humming at the same same time but um you know we'll we'll get there but um you know if you're a small agency i encourage you to to just put the time into your people and you know Hire slow, fire fast is the old mentality. I don't think you need to fire fast. I think you need to hire slow, but you also need to um, work with your people to ensure that they're they're putting their best foot forward and you're getting the most out of them. Yeah, so a key skill for you is to understand those subtleties and nuances of different roles, different spaces, so that you can structure your business accordingly and meet the needs of the market. Yeah, yeah, correct, correct. And the market's going to change again, right? You know, as as the world changes, the market will change. We're, we're a necessary evil to a degree at the moment because it's really difficult to find talent. 
but for us, it's 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 now about, and we're talking to if I'm talking to the recruiters out there, it's now about relationships. It's about how strong are your relationships? Have you jacked your prices up and going to price yourself out of the market when you might not become a necessity anymore when you're a service that maybe is no longer required? So looking at the future and looking at um, where things might go so you can make sure you're positioned well enough to still be a resource that everyone wants to use and requires and wants to work with because they like who you are and they like, they like the business and the service that you provide. Yeah, and you're across a lot of different industries. You've worked in different industries. You've looked at things overseas. What trends do you see in entrepreneurship in Australia? What are a lot of entrepreneurs doing really well? And then where's additional room for improvement um, that you see in the sort of Australian entrepreneurial ecosystem? Yeah, yeah, it's interesting. We jumped from Melbourne to New York, which I think a lot of people go, why? Um, why why would you go and do that? Why wouldn't you go to Sydney? Why wouldn't you go to um, you know Brisbane even where it's got a, a decent property and property and construction space? We had the gap there. We had the market. We had um, clients here that were over there. Um, we had we mapped. We 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 R and D the shit out of things. Apologies for my my French there, but we 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 really look into things and there is method to our madness and everything that we do. So I think it's about entrepreneurs now. Just sit back and and have a look. Look at the gap. You know we. We don't wear suits, you know, wear a, a, a Woods Go t-shirt or a, a semi-casual appearance. I know I've got a hat on today. It's casual Thursday, I suppose, because the long weekend's ahead. But look at points of difference, but make sure that, yes, you don't just have a point of difference. You still can back it up with the work that you do. So um, we look at the market and think about where where can we be impactful? Um, how can we make a difference? Um, how can we actually support those businesses? Um, and is our process and our service good enough to be able to do that? Yes, it is. Great. Let's go for it. And away we go. And then we do it the way we do it. And that might be wearing a hat and a black T-shirt versus a, a suit and tie on Collins Street. It, um, it doesn't really matter too much. Then you can do things how you want to as long as you've, you've done the research, you understand the needs, supply and demand, all that kind of stuff comes into play. So did you have a client complaining about their US recruitment or they said, oh, we wish we had someone like you in the US? And then is that where you saw that market opportunity? So, well, why couldn't we be in the US and support that client? Yeah, so when we opened, it was a plan. It's a 10-year plan. We did it at five years. Um, it's been the most exciting part of the journey thus far. I mean, we talk about people changing their jobs every three to four years on average. It's probably what's happened with me. I I was four years in and I just needed that next thing. You know, we'd grown the teams, things had changed, we battled COVID. I wanted the next challenge. And um, during COVID, everything went to online. So um, we had clients that uh, their head office is based here. They had um, roles come available in the US. They weren't getting what they needed from their uh, partners over there. They asked if we could do it because they understood that it was all getting done on video anyway. We did. We had success. We got more opportunity referred on. And then we said, well, why don't we fast track this? We were lucky enough. So Matt, Matt Pedelec, now who I worked with at Smart, um, who came over here, he put his hand up to run the US um, division. Um, we went out there found an office, we've been through the visa um, side of things, we've learned about opening businesses over there, how that looks, taxes, you name it. We've, we've been through it all again. The last 12 months, it was like starting a new business and it still is. It's now scary again, you know. <laughs> you wake up in hot sweats during the night thinking, God, what have I done? Um, and there's days where you go, wow, how, how awesome is this? So 
Um, yeah, there was a gap. There was an opportunity. And then we, we went and market maps, you know, who do we know in Manhattan? Who do we know on the ground in the US? And um, could, could we make a difference? And would they want to work with Australians? That was the other thing, you know. Would the US want to work with us? And it, it, it's, it's come to fruition and it's, um, it's proven to be uh, the right decision, the right move. Um, it's fairly fragmented over there. The market, very different to Australia. Um, but for us as a business, it was the right decision. I mean, it might not be for everybody. Some people want to go to Sydney. They want to go to the, the UK. Um, the US was right for us because we service all of Australia from, from Melbourne as it is. And um, a, a lot of Australian, the Australian recruitment industry, you know, are people who came from the UK in the last 5, 10, 15 years. There's a big connection yeah. and influence between those two markets. But what about in the US? What are some of those cultural differences you've seen in the markets, in um, your clients, in the candidates that are, um, you know, maybe different, better or worse than you sort of expected um, being 12 months into that US expansion journey now? Yeah, it's interesting. You know, there's 30,000 recruitment agencies in the UK, there's 7,000 in Australia. I couldn't tell you how many there are in the US. It's probably more. Um, but the US operates in, a, in a, a very different way to the way we operate. You know, they are specialised. So if we go in as a generalist recruiter, they sort of, it, they don't understand that. So we, we, we've had to change our, I guess, our, our pitch, um, you know, our value proposition when we go in and talk to particular clients. And we've changed a little bit, you know, where, where, where tech and sort of finance and legal orientated over there. That's just the way the cookies sort of crumble with a bit of sales support and service on the side. Um, um, the the cultural piece it's it's not all that different to Australia. We um, you know we all get along. The business is done done really well. The best thing about it, and I like it because it's how I operate, is there's not a lot of fluff when you go to a meeting. It's in, and your time frame's half an hour. You get in, get out. That's it. Follow up and away you go. Um, and then there's a lot of networking done after hours. And they do call the city that never sleeps in New York. And, um, and, and, and that's probably why, because business is done during business hours. And there's a lot of business done outside of those hours. But culturally, pretty similar. You know, we had an experience. We went and sat down with a law firm over there. I had a suit, had a tie on, thought, you know, I've got to really dress to impress. The guy walked in with a wine shirt on and um, I can't do a good American accent. But he said, why are you guys, Paul, why are you dressed like that? Um, so, you know, the world is changing. Um, culturally, it's great. The processes are different. You know, it's, it's, it's a lot longer, the recruitment process. In Australia, we go through our motions. We find the candidates. We submit. People interview the following week. They make the decision, reference checks, and they hire. Over there, there's four or five stages of each interview process. Salaries are a lot higher. Um, cost of living is obviously a lot higher. Uh, there's also elements to um, our pricing, which is remarkably different to what it is in Australia, but it's relative to our processes over there. Our recruitment life cycle here is about two weeks. Over there, it's about six. Here, we charge 12 to 15%. Over there, we charge 18 to 22%. So that's just paying for the extra time that goes into managing the candidate, so on and so forth. It's, it's, it is quite often fastest finger first. Um, there's, there's probably not as much loyalty as there is in the, in the Australian market with the relationship, albeit it still exists. Um, but they will just take the best person, you know, if you've got the right candidate, they're most likely to to, to utilize your service. Um, and, you know, that's probably the way business should be at the end of the day. Um, buy the best thing for your business. And, and and we see a lot of that over in the States. 
Are some of those like are you mainly recruiting within sort of New York State and New York City, or are you trying to you know that's your tip of the spear, but you're already working with clients in other states? Because often I think in Australia the US has a reputation of sort of higher fast, fire fast, and mm. at will employment, and I know again it varies state by state. But but is have you seen a bit of that, or is it again just bureaucracy and other or larger businesses, slower processes versus slightly smaller businesses, faster processes in Australia? Yeah, sure. It's um, a lot of the work we're doing is in New York State, so and a lot of it's on Manhattan. But the the US as a whole has a, a large contingency of their workforce still working at home, and um, you know, bigger market, more people, all that kind of stuff. So we can understand that, um, and that their COVID experience was far worse than ours. Um, so yeah, we do a lot of stuff on the East Coast over there, Boston, um, New York State, but we also have a a, a lot of work in LA because um, time zone for us here because we do a lot of the support work from from head office here in Melbourne. Um, we do a lot of work in LA. Um, I guess they they understand Australians a little bit better than than the East Coast because uh, the more Aussies do visit visit that side. But um, yeah, it, it, it's fragmented. It's sort of all over the shop. Um, we, we're doing a lot of um, cross country as well work. Um, so we just placed a role with a, a US um, client over in the States, um, their head of operations here in Australia. We've got a, um, a head of sales role from Australian company that's going to be based out of LA um, over there that we've just placed as well. So it's kind of cool because there's not a lot of Australian businesses that are doing both countries because usually they go UK, Australia first. So we've got we've got that gap in the market, which is, which is awesome. But... Um, yeah, it's it's sort of all over the shop. We're finding we're working with a lot more Aussies than we we ever ever thought we would. We're working with either Aussies in American businesses or Aussie-owned businesses, and we're dealing with the Americans in the business. So, yeah, it's here, there, and everywhere at the moment. Probably similar how we started in Melbourne, but we'll we'll find our niche and our gaps, and then start to, um, I guess, like everything, you know, infiltrate and uh, make our make our our stamp on it. And you mentioned, um, you know, learning all, all the different sort of things over there and, and the nuances. Are there things that you learned in the US market which then sort of helped you with your, your Melbourne operations, like a new idea or a perspective just being exposed to, again, different types of businesses and clients and, and candidates and things like that? Yeah, yeah. I've, and I've used a few few catchphrases, right, through this, through this process. But um, the hustle is real over there. The hustle is real. If... Um, if you want to see a place where people people are really putting in the time and the effort and working incredibly hard to to get to the surface because it is so competitive, um, that's one thing we've learned is we can really level up here in Australia um, in our own business. Not to say that we're not doing things to the best of our ability or we're not working as hard as we can, just watching um, how, how our staff over there work and how other businesses' staff work. Um, it's 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 quite remarkable the um, the hours are longer um, you know they're, they're really tactical in their approach um, you know there's a lot of power of persuasion when it comes to the negotiation piece all that kind of stuff so yeah learning a lot from that and it, and that motivates and drives us to to be better um, but then from a business sense too it's um, you know it, here we do have it great Australia has it does have it great you know our business models are very simple you can go to your account and have an abn set up tomorrow and you've got a business and away you go you know it takes months you know your lawyers are drawing up different contracts you've got to choose which state you've got to have you've got to look for nexus you've got to where are you operating out of all this kind of stuff comes 
comes to play when you're um, when you're setting up your business there. But also, um, you know, the, the nuances with visas and being able to do it, being not an, an American citizen, and, and those sorts of things. You've got to you've got to navigate some different waters. But if you like a challenge and you, you like business, it's it's probably the most fun I've had um, setting up a business was uh, was there in the US or there in the US. And a lot of Australians. I have the idea of working in New York. A lot of uh, Americans love the idea of coming down under. Is part of your employer value proposition in the future to be able to sort of second your own staff back and forth to let them sort of move across if they want and keep working for you? Yeah, we, we ran a, um, a town hall uh, here a couple of weeks ago, which is an anonymous town hall where you can put in as many questions as you want and then the leadership team will answer those in a sort of a group setting. Um, and the most common question was, how real is it that we'll have the opportunity to go and work in the US office? Um, you know, when we get to the size of a PwC and all those sorts of things and there's secondments and we can make that stuff happen, it's probably going to be more realistic. At the moment, we've got um, we've got Matt heading over who's who's heading up the business um, and we've got a, another individual who shortly follow um, thereafter at the start of next year. Um, but with with our our requirements and and what we need to be able to do over there and what I think we're going to need is you know the the major contingency of the the, the workforce and the cohort there will be uh, US um, but we would really like to be able to offer people the opportunity to work flexibly um, from country to country when the opportunity arises but. As we all know, um, recruiters really hold a business within a business. So you've got to be willing to let your book go here and create a new book there and then vice versa. But there could be opportunities to swap those books. But the world's our oyster. Who knows? Yeah. And so speaking of the future, do you have a five year mentioned sort of, you know, four year phases and, and sort of um, new ideas? Do you have a vision? For the next five years, if the US is sort of going really well, would you then add the UK or would you just go deeper into the US or um, is Asia Pacific like Singapore of interest or, again, other services, HR training? What is the sort of medium-term vision or direction look like for Woods & Co? Yeah, so we, um, we're we probably in, in Australia, we're probably set now with our departments um, and, and to grow those teams out is probably – the short-term future, and we we had a management meeting late into the evening last night about that. It's about getting some real depth in those in those teams we have here, um, and then um, every team uh, should have a temporary and contract element to it. So our hospitality team is now diversifying into um, uh, labour hire, um, which will then hopefully we do a little bit of contract work in the administration and IT space to build out those temp teams in the short term. So just get some more depth and some more temporary and contract growth uh, here in Australia. We have just recently launched um, Woods & Co Education, so training, um, which which will be our next sort of business and department, which will helpfully, hopefully facilitate and help our temporary team and our workforce. So uh, RSAs for hospitality, um, cocktail courses, white cards for labour, um, different tickets, um, all that sort of stuff, security licences, um, personal training certificates, things that can just help our, our Woods & Co ecosystem. Um, longer term is obviously then the growth. So two, three years, we've really got to try and grow the US. Um, we want to get to probably 100 staff here in Australia. That's the plan. And then do similar in the US and the, the, the five-year plan. So which we will call 10 to 15 year plan post post uh, inception at the very beginning will be the UK. We will be going to the UK and we've got we've got the resource here that wants to go and, and do that. Um, and he's put his hand up for that. 
we've just got to get to where we need to be and that that will be the next step and then from there who knows uh hopefully i'm still around and hopefully um you know, uh, I'm 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 enjoying it, and we're we're continuing to push forward and and growing and managing um, the business the best we can. Yeah, it sounds like a really exciting uh, and expansive vision. Um, so, so if someone's 18 to 21 years old right now, or you know, the younger version of yourself who's working different jobs, not sure what they want to do, you know, likes business and likes different things, but again, is sort of still figuring out their way in their world. Um, what would you say to someone who's at that point now, maybe they finished high school, maybe they finished uni, maybe, again, they're, they're just sort of doing different casual jobs and trying to, to find out what to do longer term. What would you say to that sort of person? Yeah, um, keep at it. Keep trying different things. Um, be open, you know. Um, get out there. Meet people. I mean, technology is a big part of the the younger generation these days. But, yes, it, it plays a, a pivotal role. But if, if recruitment or, um, you know, a, a people person environment is where you want to be, um, get out there and meet people, network, um, try different things. And, and don't rush as well, you know. Um, there, there is no rush to, to get to where you need to be. I think I was 29 when I, when we, when I started this. And, you know, I, I look back now and I say, you know, your 20s is about enjoying life and, and really figuring things out. Um, your 30s is really cementing yourself in what it is that you would like to be doing. Your 40s is hopefully where you make the money and hopefully from 50 onwards, um, you know, it's retirement or, or life enjoyment and family and all that kind of stuff. So um, keep at it, keep trying. Um, don't don't overextend yourself. That that would be my, my key thing. We run on no debt. Um, we we launch everything with no debt. We we make sure we've we've got the finance to be able to do it. We don't borrow money. Um, obviously, there's there's certain businesses where you need to do that um, because you can't just launch off the smell of an oily rag. But just be careful because, especially at the moment, we're seeing I've seen a lot of people I know personally seeing a lot of businesses um, going to administration, going to liquidation. They do all the right things. They're a great business. They've just overextended themselves and they can't keep up. And, um, you know, that changes your world quite dramatically. So just play it safe by the water, kids. <laughs> Excellent. Any final thoughts or words you'd like to leave the audience with? No, no, just um, thanks for having me on, Derek. And um, it's been a been a pleasure. It's been enjoyable. Sorry about my audio. Sorry about my, my cough and my voice. And, um, yeah, hopefully I've, I've added some inspiration or some some thought-provoking uh, stuff here today that uh, can help people into the future. Excellent. Thanks so much, Tom. Awesome. Thanks, Derek. Thank you for listening to the Future of Australia podcast. If you liked the episode, please subscribe and leave a review in iTunes. To learn more about the Future of Australia project, check out futureofaustralia.com. To reach out to Derek directly, you can email derek at futureofaustralia.com. That's D-E-R-E-K at futureofaustralia.com.